With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hey, for those of you who follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you probably already saw we recently hit 100,000 downloads. Thank you, thank you, thank you to each of you who has shared this, who has reviewed it, who listens week after week. We could not do this without you. And to celebrate, we are releasing some swag. We've got a mug that has the logo on the outside, perfect for your morning cafe con leche or a matcha latte. We've got these canvas pouches that I love for keeping in your purse. Great to keep yourself organized. Also a glossy sticker set because it's basically a podcast rule that you have to have a sticker set. I put mine on my laptop. It already looks so much cooler. We love making this podcast and we also really care about quality and that means that we use studio time, we use a sound engineer and all that stuff costs money. So if you love this podcast as much as we do and you want to continue to see it grow, we would love your support. Check out all the swag at latinatolatina.com slash shop. Again, thank you so much for listening and for loving the show. So I'm a little bit of a risk taker. I knew that again... To help your family, you have to educate and help yourself. And then once you're stable and you've got ground footing, then you go back and you get them. Nina Vaca started her workforce solutions business out of her one-bedroom apartment. Today, Pinnacle Group is valued at over a billion dollars. It's been named the fastest-growing female-led business in the United States. And here's the most amazing part. Nina still owns 100% of the company. Nina, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. This is the first time we've had a guest on who was recommended by another guest we love. Natalie Molina Nino told us unequivocally that we had to have you on. And you know when Natalie tells you that, she means it. So let's start at the beginning. Your parents emigrated from Ecuador Mm -hmm. to L.A., They were the original entrepreneurs. They were. My mother and father immigrated from Quito, Ecuador, to Los Angeles, California. 
And in very short order, like most immigrants, they found their American dream through entrepreneurship. My father was an entrepreneur, as my mother was, but my mother was a civic leader. She got very involved in her community, became a leader in her community, contributed back to her community. And so I feel like I've dedicated my entire life to do those very two things, the entrepreneurship piece, but not forgetting the immigrant roots and the community piece. What did you learn watching them? I learned a lot about failure. And I learned, again, as most immigrant families, that failure is not really an option and that you have to get back up over and over and over again. I always like to say I had a front row seat to watching my parents get back up. When we were young, we would lose homes. We would have cars repossessed. We would move neighborhoods constantly. And it was the life of entrepreneurs. Sometimes you had, sometimes you didn't. You know, it's funny because while there is so much entrepreneurship in our communities, our executive producer, Juleka Lentigua Williams, and I were just talking about how for those of us who come from immigrant backgrounds, there's also an alternate story, which is the American dream is finding a job nine to five where you get two weeks of paid vacation. (laughs) Maybe you're really lucky and they have a retirement set up for you. And that security is what you come to value. And in some ways, for those of us who grew up under that model, the risk that entrepreneurship entails Mm -hmm is so foreign. That's right. That's absolutely right. Your parents owned a travel agency. By 15, you were basically a travel agent. For sure. A hundred percent. My sister and I would uh, race to see who could uh, do a reservation faster than the other. And everything changed when my father brought a Sabre dumb terminal to the business. It was our first computer. It was with the green screen And it transformed my father's business. It revolutionized it. It was a very manual business. Back then, you used to actually handwrite tickets. You literally would handwrite the ticket. So we would keep blank ticket stock and the plates. But that was my first taste of technology was seeing that computer at 15. And did the dots connect then or would it be later And when you realized, like, oh, tech's a thing? The curiosity for me sparked then. And I'm really glad that it did because not only did the tech thing or understanding at a very young age how technology could revolutionize a business or transform a business, but for me it was the lack of access to capital for small business owners. My father didn't have the access to capital to get the laser printer. My father had enough capital to get the computer and he had a plan to get the printer. And so we used to keep the ticket stock in the back room along with the plates in a safe. And that was very valuable to a thief. Because that is the challenge of talking about the travel agency, which has both brought incredible opportunity into your family's life and also incredible tragedy. Yeah. Can you tell us what happened? When I was 17, I woke up one day and I I found out that my father had been murdered in his travel agency. Because we kept the ticket stock in the back, and they were blank, and the plates of every single airline was there, it became very valuable. My family was devastated. My father left behind five children, and we were devastated. My father didn't have any life insurance. There was no 401k program. To say that it was a devastation in our family would be an understatement. And so I had a choice to make. I just graduated from high school. And this story could have gone another way. But one of the things that God has graced me with is strength and courage. 
And like a good daughter, I felt that I I couldn't go to college. I stayed behind. Um, I had one sister that had already married and a second sister that was my proverbial partner in crime, my best friend. And so we looked at each other. We said, we'll run the business. And much like today, I took charge, and she was my wingman. And we ran the business for a year. And the more I thought about the technology and the more I thought about the responsibility of being uh, role models to our younger brothers and having the responsibility of now bringing up the family because we had no life insurance and we didn't know if we had a future. Technology was changing the business. And so we decided that the best way for us to propel the family is to actually get an education. And my sister made me a promise. She said, it's either me or you. And we decided that I was going to go to college. So I went to my mother and I asked her if she would put me through school. I told her I didn't want to run the business any longer. Um, My sister backed me up and encouraged my mother to sell the business. And my mother sold the business and my mother and my older sister put me through school. If it weren't for my sister and my mom, I wouldn't have a college education. And that that college education is the beginning of a 23-year story. So... You go to college, and you at that point have lived a lot more life than most of your classmates have. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, that must have made the experience of college. Let me share my tissues instead of pouring (laughs) them all over here. That must have made the experience of college a little bit different. It did. When I went to college, I went with a different mindset. I had no time I was young, too. I I wanted to have fun, but I I had a very different perspective. My whole life, I've always been about the long game. You know, my brothers and sisters know that I'm thinking about 10 years ahead, five years ahead. And so when I went to college, I was as serious as a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) I turned in, you know, my nylons and my briefcase, and I was happy to have the backpack and the tennis shoes and walk around campus and... I just couldn't afford to make any mistakes. I could not make a mistake. I had to graduate. After graduation, you briefly moved to New York, work in IT, but then you miss your family. You move back to Dallas to work at a tech company. What was the moment when you said, it is time to stop working for someone else and start my own thing? That was, it's an incredible question. I, I, by the way, I, I moved to New York and I had only been here once for the interview. They interviewed me for seven hours. I, I wasn't quite sure what the job was, but I decided I was going to take it because it was New York and they were going to pay me a base salary in technology. So I'm a little bit of a risk taker that, you know, the story in there is that you've got to, you've got to take that risk. I remember my mother telling me, but why, why do you need to leave and why New York? And I saw New York as the land of opportunity and I saw technology as the key to the future. I knew that much. And so I left. I knew that, again, to help your family, you have to educate and help yourself. And then once you're stable and you've got ground footing, then you go back and you get them. Tell me then about that moment where you decide to strike out on your own. You know, I was young and single and very confident. That's a good title for your autobiography. (laughs) At least a chapter. (laughs) Back then. Uh I was super confident in my ability, and I had had my experience in New York as I was hired as a class of 20. And by the time we ended the training, so to speak, 
there was maybe half of us left. People would fall off. People would say, no, this isn't for me. This is before internet. We were required to work Tuesdays and Thursdays till 930. And I remember I was the first one in and the last one out. I was unafraid. I dove into work. I was curious. And I caught the eye of the chairman that happened to be spinning off a division of the company. And so I had a front row seat again because of my hard work. I was super disciplined. I, I remember I had a, a $1 budget for lunch. You can grab a slice of pizza, a $1 budget for breakfast. You know, you can get a hot cocoa and a bagel for a dollar. <laughs> at and least so, you could at the time. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, way back then. Now I'm aging myself. But I just really, I'm unafraid of hard work. And I think that goes back to my upbringing. And even today as the CEO, I'll never ask people to do anything I'm not willing to roll up my sleeves and do myself. I just decided it was time to go home, and it was a fresh start. And so I went and I moved to Texas. My mother lives in Houston, and I actually got a job in Dallas, Texas, and that's how I got to Dallas. And I was hired by someone that said, why don't you start this business for us, and we'll invest. So in many ways, I got to see the opportunity hmm. and the demand was there. I, I mean, the demand was unmistakable. What was the demand? What the was demand the for IT talent. Okay. So corporations look for information technology consultants, people that are non-employees of the company, and they bring them on as consultants. And at the time, at the time being the keyword, I mean, they pay hundreds of dollars per hour. So if I couple the opportunity with confidence and the barriers to entry were not big. I knew the business. I was the student of the business. I knew I could do it on my own. And if I couldn't do it on my own, well, then I'd go to plan B. But plan A is always succeed. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. 
Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&Ms? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&Ms candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&Ms for all fun kind. I've been using this new deodorant that I really like. It's called Myro. It's a natural deodorant with a blend of essential oils that releases over time. It smells great. And there's barley powder in it that makes it last and keeps you dry. No toxic anything, no aluminum, no parabens. All the ingredients are clinically tested for safety and efficacy. And you can personalize it by choosing the scent and color of your case. I ordered mine in Chillwave. It's a mix of cucumber, jasmine, and spearmint. I swear it smells so good, sometimes I reapply it just to smell it again. You get a refresh every three months, delivered right to your door, timed for when most of us run out. You can switch scents, press pause, or stop whenever you want. Plus, the refillable case means less waste. Get 50% off your first order and get started today for just $5. Visit mymyro.com slash Latina and use the promo code Latina. That's M-Y-M-Y-R-O dot com slash Latina for 50% off your first order with the promo code Latina. There's now mythology around how this all started, right? I hear about the $300 a lot. (laughs) Where's that number come from? What did the $300 buy you? Okay, that's really funny because that went to print and it's like it stayed forever. And now you're like, I'll just take this on as my story. And I'm like, okay, so let me just explain the $300. It didn't mean that $300 is all I had in my pocket. Although I was 25 and I didn't have a lot of money. But the barriers to entry were not big. The investment, I remember going to Dell and getting credit. That was the first and last time I would buy a computer at full price. And <laughs> and I remember going to the bank and I said, hello, I'm here to open up a business account. And they said, okay, well, the requirement was you had to have a $300 deposit in order to open up a business account. So I opened the business with $300. So that's where that came from. It didn't mean that that's, you know, that's all I had to my name. It just meant that that was required. But I wasn't far off from what I had to my name. Within a few months, though, I mean, mm-hmm. you moved from that one bedroom to a high rise in Dallas. Unless that's something else that's been put in print that is taken no, no. on a life of its own. No, no. That's, that, that is the truth. I started the business. And again, we're in the service industry. So mm-hmm. obviously no inventory. I had my credit. I had my computer. I would call into companies just cold calling, trying to offer my services because I knew the larger the company, the more the need would have. And we had a lot of success, a lot of success. In fact, uh, six months later, the first phone call I made was to my sister. And she joined the company. Um, no, I no, called... no, 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 no. What was that conversation? <laughs> it, was, it was like most of our conversations had gone in the past. Hey, I have an idea. And her response would be, that's a terrible idea. When do you want me there? And I said, I don't have much to offer you, but I have an idea. And I really believe in this idea. And I think we could make something of it. I think we can build and we could fulfill that dream of our family working together. And I, I'm not sure how. And she asked me more about the plans and everything she asked. I was unsure. And everywhere I turned, 
I didn't have concrete answers for her. She lived in Houston at the time, and she said, well, there's a problem because you're in Dallas and I live in Houston. And I said, and? And she said, well, I have a two-year-old son. And I said, and? And she said, and I'm married, and my husband works here in Houston. And I said, so when can you get here? She said, can you give me a month? Grandma took care of the baby. She told her husband, you need to find a job in Dallas. She left, and she moved in with me. We lived with each other for four months. And I offered her nothing. I offered her nothing but an opportunity to work and build together like we had our entire lives. And she believed in me. What was that vision that you believed in so fiercely that you were willing to not only dive in yourself, but convince your sister to dive in with you? The vision, as I think about it, is threefold. Number one, that entrepreneurship was the American dream. I had a college degree now, and I still wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's all I've ever known. Number two, the absolute certainty that technology would grow and it would continue to grow. We were safe. We were in an industry that was growing Mm -hmm. and that could only get larger. And number three, this kind of burning desire to help the family and build the family up. As it would turn out, not quite as safe as you thought. Right. 2001 financial crisis hits. How did it affect your business? 2001 almost put us out of business. It was one of the hardest years I've ever had in my life. I was pregnant with my second child. The business had been going so well that I got married. I had a millennium baby. I mean, we were several million dollars in revenue. We had consultants in brand name companies. There's a story in there. Sometimes life is good until you wake up. And everything changes. And I was almost nine months pregnant with my daughter. She was born two days after 9-11. And 9-11 was devastating to the business. We actually almost went out of business. We went from having, I remember, like 30 consultants, maybe down to just a handful. And in headquarters, I had already brought my sister on. My brother was a traveling consultant. I had three people at corporate headquarters, and the consultants all told me, Pack it up. Pack it up. It's been a nice ride. Put a liquidation plan in place. By the way, you need to fire someone tomorrow. And I had to choose between two people because my sister was off limits. And I fired myself. I stopped taking a salary. I dug deep. And again, that mentality of, you know what? You can cut your way out or you can grow your way out. We're going to grow our way out. And I just, I started looking for mentor sponsors, talking to my customers and understanding if they're not going to buy contingent labor, what is it that they're going to buy? And again, being a student of the industry and understanding what are these corporations, what can I do? That turned out to be a good decision. Because what they wanted to buy were packaged projects. That's exactly right. They were not buying contingent labor. They were buying fixed-price, deliverable-based IT solutions. And so I don't recommend this strategy, but I went back to the office and I'm like, okay, guys, we're in the fixed-price solutions business. And I remember my brother looking at me going, wait, what? And I'm like, just figure it out. That's what they're (laughs) buying. And so, again, I just taking that risk. We were much smaller back then, so I could take a lot of risk. But ever since then, Pinnacle had its renaissance We started growing from that point forward. I'll never forget a corporation that gave us the opportunity. We must have been on 46 RFPs. And, I mean, it was over and over again. We would fail, and I'd get back up. 
And even when the team wanted to not bid again, they're like, Nina, we've lost 15 RFPs. I'd always look at them and go, but we won't lose the next one. Right. So you got two out of 40 that you bid on. We did. (laughs) And we took those two and planted and blossomed them. One of them started as a 15-person project which was a very small project at the time. And we blossomed and farmed it until it was 250 people. Company has since been valued at over a billion dollars. Now, let's be clear. That doesn't mean you are worth a billion (laughs) dollars. Correct. Okay. Correct. There's that mistake between revenue and profits. You know, we keep moving the goalpost. I remember wanting to be a $10 million company. And when we got there, I'm like, why can't we do 50? And when we did 50, I'm like, why not 100? And we kept moving the goalpost until that proverbial billion-dollar mark in revenue. And for me, it started off as helping my family and changing our generations. But it's become so much more since then. Now my family just includes hundreds of people in corporate headquarters and thousands of consultants. But for me, it's been it's been less about the size and the revenue. Now it's about impact. Now we have a platform. Now I've, I feel like everything I've seen and done can serve purposefully as an opportunity to open doors for others. And we've helped a lot of people achieve their American dream. There were a few reasons that Natalie underscored your business, um, but one of them was the fact that you still own 100% of the company Mm -hmm. and that that is exceedingly rare. That most of us, in order to get the capital that we need to begin our businesses, give away pieces of our businesses before we've even begun. Mm -hmm. How'd you do that? So it takes a tremendous amount of discipline. And I have basically taken 100% of the profits and put it right back into the business. You heard the story where I stopped taking a salary. I did that for years. I just didn't take a salary. I always put our people first, and people realize that. And in turn, they'll also appreciate that investment, and they'll stay. I've been very frugal with myself and our family, and we're in this for the long game, and people can see that. And the result of that is by saving and investing back into the business, we haven't had to go to outside capital. You make things look easy. And you're a very polished person. You have a full blowout right now. You you make it look like you've done it without stumbling. But certainly, there have been stumbles. So tell me about one of them, if only to help me believe that you're human. Uh, In 2014, I woke up. And my appendix exploded. Most people don't know that story. And I got to the hospital in time. It was contained, but they couldn't take it out. I was way too infected. They couldn't do surgery or I would basically die. So I left the hospital with a little kind of colonoscopy pouch, which I then bejeweled and Velcroed it to my calf. And I spent a month injecting myself with liquid antibiotics at 7.30 in the morning every morning. My mother actually did it for me. And my husband and my mom took care of me for that month. I was very weak. And I had to start all over again. And I remember walking around the block thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I've hit rock bottom again. And... I remember thinking to myself, the beauty of being rock bottom 
is that you got nowhere else to go but up. And I'm a triathlete. I like to swim, bike, and run, preferably in the same hour. And I always dreamt of crossing the finish line and racing again. And it took me two years of hard work, discipline, to the day almost. But I ran one of the most iconic triathlons, the Alcatraz Triathlon, where I swam from Alcatraz Island all the way to shore, and then you did the bike and the run. But I tell you that story because sometimes our tragedies are in business, sometimes they're in our families, and sometimes they're within us. But whether it's business-related or personal, it's still the same phenomenon. It's when you're down, you have to make the proverbial decision whether you want to stay down or whether you're going to courage up and you're going to fight hard. I just don't know any other way. I ask you to prove to me that you're human, and your response to me is to tell me how you're a triathlete, oh, Nina. Okay, let me say a human story. <laughs> no, I'm teasing I've you. I've had so many. What is your best advice for a Latina entrepreneur? The best advice for Latina entrepreneur, any entrepreneur, but especially for Latinas, is that opportunity is absolutely unequivocally there. There are 4 million Hispanic-owned businesses in this country, generating almost a billion dollars to the American economy. And the fastest-growing sector of small business is Latina-owned businesses. Seven out of 10 Hispanic businesses are ran by Latinas. So if you look at those statistics alone and you look at the all the statistics that we all know and hear about, about the growth of the Hispanic community and the growth of small businesses, you can't help but see the potential. Now, what industry will it be in? How difficult will it be? I don't know. The challenges will be large. But I can tell you, if you're willing to look at the opportunity and you're willing to work hard, I think there's great opportunity in this country. What do you want to do next? That's a great question. I feel like um, my work at Pinnacle is not done. We're on our last frontier. I feel like my personal career as an entrepreneur and as a leader, I still have a long way to go. I just joined the Council on Foreign Relations. I'm really excited about that. It's a new uh, frontier for me. I'm involved globally. I'm on a couple of publicly traded company boards. One of them is global, operates in 15 countries. And so I feel like there's still a lot to do. And I think last year was an interesting year because my daughter went to college. And it was a big epiphany for both my husband and I. One going to college, it kind of signaled that they'll all be gone in the next six years. And so I've waited a long time to harvest and I'll continue to make investments. What I'd personally like to do is smell the roses. Will you run for office? <laughs> I don't know. That's the right answer. I don't know. I, If you asked me a month ago, I would say absolutely unequivocally not. But I know you can never speak in absolutes. What happened in the last month? Oh, no. It just it constantly okay. changes. <laughs> okay. Um, like I see Beto. <laughs> He's claiming to be the Latino from Texas. You know, the answer is I don't know. I, I have a servant heart. I always have had that from my mother. I think there's a lot of ways to serve. I think it's really courageous to run for office nowadays. I think I'm, I'm always going to be an ambassador to my community, and I'm always going to serve. The question is, in which way will I do it? Navaka, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been a privilege. 
Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is owned and executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Maria Muriel was the sound designer on this episode. We want to hear from you. Tell us who you want to hear from and how you're making the show a part of your life. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.